This is Coda Radio, episode 113, for August 7th, 2014. Hi everyone, you're listening to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. Joining me this week for twice in one week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Double the Chris, double the fun. That's what I say. Double the mic, double the pleasure. That's what I say. I'm excited. I'm excited because we've also we're we're gonna be taking some calls in just a little bit too. So it's gonna. Oh. I know it's gonna be nuts. It's gonna be. Uh, this is good. I think. I think the kids say off the chain, Mike. Is that right? Am I getting that right? Actually, I heard it's off the heezy. Oh, okay. All right. Good. Well, that works out because we got off the heezy topics. I uh, I didn't even talk to you about what I I brought something with me. I brought a show and tell piece of hardware to talk about today. So a pleasure device. No, well, maybe actually. I think it could be used for that. Right now, it's a disappointment device. <laughs> same thing, same yeah. thing. Hey, it's all perspective. That's right. Uh, so let's start with, uh, we got some emails, though. I, I want to uh, jump into one of those because we got a great email from somebody who chose to be anonymous but still wants to impart some wise, wise words onto our audience. So here's the background. Uh, the last place that uh, our writer here wrote was a consulting firm, non-tech related, founded on the atopic goals that we described in a recent episode where small but nimble fish in a pond of slow whales could react and adjust to the market demands as needed. They got bought out, though, after a little while because things didn't work out. So then during the acquisition, he observed a culture clash between the incoming corporate culture and the hippie utopians. The truth behind the lifeboat acquisition was poorly disseminated to the groups and only continued to erode morale and the culture. The steady stream of voluntary departures was due to mistrust and a lack of transparency. Man, have I seen that happen. I've been at a company that was started by three guys and then it grew into a company of 100, and then it grew into a company of 150, then it grew into a company of 200, and then they got bought out. And over the next year, all of the original people, like the original core group of like 20 or 30 people that were really hardcore and geniuses, all began to leave over that year period. So I've seen that same thing. Here's his advice. Never be static. Be ambitious. Be ambitious. The market is always changing, and oftentimes you have to bet on its direction. Always be preparing for growth or shrinkage. Spend time thinking about how that would be required to scale up or have the number of JB shows, for example. I know it's painful to think about the latter. One having a plan and being transparent about it would go a long way in preserving team morale. If your team distrusts your intentions, everything will unravel. Everyone is looking to you for the vision. Every time you go out and say, I don't know, the response is, your team doesn't know what to do. So you got to stay strong, keep calm, keep calm, and welcome change. And I think that's great advice. Yeah, no, that's phenomenal. I mean, be nimble. Embrace the be change and, and have fun with it, too. And I think uh, a lot of us in the technology field are already kind of predisposed to sort of embrace change to a bit. But it gets hard when it comes down to, well, this is how I make my money. Uh, I refer you back to Mike's uh, reaction to Swift, <laughs> which was whoa, not too whoa, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> that's going to go down oh, in Coda Radio right. history, man. I would say that was not a positive response you had. But, you know, then you had time to marinate it, right? Yes, uh, my mother made me stand in a corner with my face towards the wall. And uh, <laughs> Mike, think about what you've done. Right, this was a punishment in the Dominic household, by the way. And, uh, you know, kind of wonder why you suck and why, why can't the other children have their toys. And But, you know, I've evolved on Swift, right? So Swift is like those uh, mega blocks mm-hmm. where Objective-C is Legos. Ah. You know, so for the less intelligent, perhaps less um, gifted children... Mega blocks is fine. <laughs> wow. Wow. So what you're telling me right now is Swift is for the promatically challenged, perhaps, is a nice way to say it. Well, I mean, I mean, if you look at the people using Swift, Zane Salford, um, oh! you, you see a trend. And I don't want to say you know, they're very special developers to me, really. Man, I, I, feel like, I feel like you were laying a bed that you were going to have to lay in at some point. <laughs> 
Well, you know, I haven't gotten enough hate mail. Right, um, right. People liked it that we had nice these... things to say about Microsoft, so we got to stir somebody up. Yeah, you know, usually we do a Microsoft episode to really stir the pot, yeah. but... No, this time we... Uh, could... every, everybody was reasonable. Where, where are my Linux fanatics? I don't know, man. Did we get rid of them, maybe? I think they all got MacBooks. Ooh. Oh, yeah, because they had to get a real job. That's oh! right. Oh. Come on now. No, that means they got the hippie job. All right, keep it straight. All right. P.T. Dave writes in about uh, proper security and development. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Hey, Chris and Mike, I'm developing some web software with Dart. It's a client and server. I was wondering if you had any tips on ensuring that there isn't any obvious security holes or backdoors. Most of what I have requires a key to retrieve data and an IP to match that key. I just don't want to fall into that flat on my face on my first application to Excel. Yeah, er, to sell. Yeah, that would be embarrassing to have a security problem. So P.T. Dave's wondering... Mike, when you're building, like, how do you discuss security? Like, what is your approach there? So security is a nice term to throw around, but it, it means very different things in different cases, right? So, you know, if your customer's a bank, security is very different than if your customer is the latest Instagram clone, right? Um, generally, we follow best practices, um, you know, encryption as much as possible, SSL, the whole the norm the normal best practices now it wasn't clear to me from this email is he asking about a special case perhaps like again financial services things like that it sounds like he's just worried about a client server security you know you got people maybe that are mobile that are going to connect back to a server well if you're following the you know the accepted standards and the best practices you're you you're in okay shape i mean you're you should be in pretty good shape actually yeah, I, um, that's definitely where you want to start, right? And then also right. you could look at other examples of similar applications to see what steps they've taken. Um, and I'm always a fan, too, of asking somebody you know to take a look at it. If you are really that concerned about the security aspect of it, find somebody you know and trust that is familiar with uh, security testing and have them take a look at it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I do is plug, 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 listen to TechSnap and see what are the vulnerabilities for this week, right? What do we have to think about? Staying informed while you're working on the project is also a really good way to go. Right, and, and it's almost always Rails, so, you know. That's... Oh, I thought it was always PHP. Well, PHP, so, again, Rails is a little sick. PHP has leprosy, right? So it's kind of a different level. I don't know. If you ask uh, Marco Armit, PHP is, uh, is the, uh, it's the, it's the practical choice. You know what? I can't knock them because I am a, a dedicated Overcast user now. So I am too. Gonna... I am too. We should talk about Overcast a little yeah. bit. Uh, we got... I'm going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> we got two more emails, and then I want to talk about Overcast with you because I actually think what's particularly interesting about Overcast is it's a it's a it's a server side. It's almost entirely a server side application pretending to be a client yeah. side application, and that is what I find to be fascinating about it. Is I would have if I didn't listen to his technical descriptions of how that app was built, I would think it's doing everything client. Side, but in reality, it is remarkably server side. Like even even the order that the settings menu is generated in is adjusted server side. It's incredible. So I want to talk about that in a minute. Uh, and we got two more emails to get to, and then we got our live calls to jump into. We got a lot to get to. So why don't I stop right here and thank our first sponsor, Linux Academy? Go to linuxacademy.com/coders. Why? Well, here's why. Because you now have the ability to go to a source you can trust and bring your skills up to the next level. They have step-by-step video courses, downloadable comprehensive study guides. And when you go to linuxacademy.com slash coders, you get a special discount right now. It's going to make the, the fee only $20 per month. And this is why you want to get something like Linux Academy. That fee goes towards increasing all of the content on the service on a weekly basis. They're adding new stuff all the time. In fact, an entire new course called OpenStack Essentials has just been put up there. It's 100% complete with over 14 hours of content that you can go through, learn up on OpenStack, which is becoming an extremely relevant technology. They were adding more and more AWS stuff all the time. Plus, they have all these other courses you can learn like LAMP stack or uh, Nginx, anything you might need to implement for a project, and you want to just go to one official source and have step-by-step guides. They have seven-plus distributions you can choose from. They'll automatically adjust the courseware to that distribution. So if you pick Debian, the courseware goes to that goes to that distribution. If you pick Red Hat, it's all adjusted to meet that distribution. That means you are getting exactly step-by-step what you need to do. And you can also get familiar with another distribution doing that way. So if you're more of an Ubuntu guy like Mike is, but all of a sudden you get thrown into a project where you got to make a CentOS box do what you need, this is an opportunity to take advantage of a skill this and a resource like this, too. Build a new skill through a resource like Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders is where you want to go. That lets them know, thank you for supporting 
the Coda Radio program, but it also gets you that discount. Check out their AWS certified SysOps course. That's pretty awesome. Scenario-based learning, too, which I really like. They're doing live Q&A sessions if you've got questions. They have a very active community. If you ever need a little encouragement, they can help you get right along. There's so many great different resources. Go over there and just check it out. They have a, they have a couple of tabs along the type of their, top of their site. You can do take the tour. Look, you can look at the, uh, the Linux training tab, too, if you want to get an idea of some of the courseware they have. A lot of self-paced labs as well. And in these labs, they'll spin up the virtual server, including the AWS instance. And it's all just included with your Linux Academy service. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go check out some of the new stuff they've, off- they've just added. And you'll see why the, what, what they're offering here goes beyond just a one-time static snapshot. But it's a continually evolving and improving of the courseware on a weekly basis. And when you become a Linux Academy member, you, can, you really see it. You see the improvements constantly. And as you begin to wrap up, you kind of can look out there and say, okay, well, you know, I know they're going to be adding this because they're very transparent with their community. You say, all right, I know they're going to be adding this. As I wrap up, I'll transition over to that. And it's just a way for you to always improve yourself and always learn something. And at the end of the day, that means you're a little more employable, Right. That means maybe you can charge a little more on that next contract, or maybe just when it comes time for the review, they can check that box and say, you've done self-education. They've really got the tool set to make it actually work for you. If you've got a little bit of time or a lot of bit of time, they can make it work for you. Trust me. I've been able to make it work for me, and I find just little slices of time here or there. I'll tell you what, though. That downloadable content definitely helps. It's great for the commute. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a really big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring Coda Radio. All right, Mike, let's get to our next email because we've got a couple more to get to, and then I want to talk about Overcast with you. Uh, so Dev30 writes in uh, about our thoughts. Get ready for this from Coda Radio 63. I was listening to Coda Radio episode 63. Oh. I know, I know. He's going through the back catalog, and a crazy thought came to mind. What if Canonical just partnered up with Steam and used their app store, which is already awesome, to encourage developers to develop good products for Linux and share the profits. Just a thought. Love the show. Uh, He's going to be donating soon, too, which is awesome. He says, keep making great content. So, Mike, how about I'll ask, uh, let's ask the Mumble Room to begin with. Yeah, go ahead. Mumble Room. Uh, I'll start. Let's see. Let's see. We got Fate there at the top of the list. Fate, I'll start with you. If uh, you were on your Ubuntu desktop, he's got a he's got a uh, System seventy six Ultra Pro, and he, but he's running Arch on it. But let's say he's running Ubuntu. If you're on this and you uh, you log in one day, say it's Ubuntu fifteen ten, and you click on the App Store, and instead of the Ubuntu Software Center, it fires up Steam and takes you to like a Linux software section. What's your first reaction, Fate? Is this a visceral bad, or uh, this is too commercial, or is this uh, finally somebody who knows what they're doing is handling this for me? Well, my first reaction is it would be excellent, followed by I'm living in fantasy land. <laughs> like, there's no way that Valve, a billion-dollar company, is going to let Canonical in on that. But that would be great. Yeah. Like, It'd be finally nice to have a good app store, but I think the reason that they have a terrible one is the same reason that Valve would never team up with them. Oh, what is that reason? Because they're... Okay, they're they're not good at uh, integrating their software into a cohesive manner that you know makes it look good, and they just don't produce profits as a result of that that are in any way comparable to what Steam could provide them. So I don't see them partnering in any kind of business sense. Well, Steam here's here's what I'm thinking. Uh, Dev Thirty is going for. Steam really takes all the money. Maybe Canonical gets like a ten percent cut because they're bundling the icon pre included in the launcher. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I don't know. They're they're an interesting company, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on it. <sighs> Mike, sounds like you agree. Yeah, so it makes a lot of sense for Canonical, and it makes almost no sense for Steam, right? Do you think they would get into just the business of? I mean, they sell desktop applications now. In fact, they do sell a Linux uh, a desktop app called Geekbench. It's a benchmarking software, but it's not a game, and they're selling it through Steam. Do you think maybe they'll get into more apps? Well, they've been trying to get into like productivity and utility software for a while on Windows and Mac, but but those have app stores already. You know, like honestly, if I'm on the Mac, I'm not buying from Steam. If I want a productivity app, wouldn't I be buying from the Apple App Store? But on Linux, that there's still a, a market void there. Maybe again, what's the advantage for Steam? I mean, are there enough people willing to pay for software? I mean, this is the same problem that the Ubuntu App Store has, right? I would say there's not much of a disadvantage 
right? Because they, they already have all the infrastructure in place. They've already developed all of the client-side software. They have all the payment processing in place. They have all the avenues to add software in place. So it's just a matter of really probably picking, you know, 20, 30 good applications for the Linux desktop and putting them in a storefront. So it, really, the most work is somebody's got to code up the HTML storefront that goes in the Steam store. But after that, aren't they kind of done and they just sit back and make the sales? I think they could do it, dude. I think if I think okay, if, but why would they do it? Well, that's that's short. it. I don't know why they yeah. would. I don't. I, I don't have an answer to that. I, I mean, I'm 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 masturbating to this idea of a future where wow. there's the GNOME desktop and it's any Linux distribution you want, and then you just get the universal Steam App Store and you get games and apps for All your commercial right, so, software and the repos for your free software. So for your desktop productivity and uh, and. Uh, Shall we say utility software yeah. on Linux? Isn't Chrome the future? I mean, <sighs> right? I mean, even for Windows and, and to a lesser extent Mac, but eventually for Macintosh too, right? And this is a guy who sells Mac software. Um, isn't? I mean, come on, Chrome. Chrome's got to be it. Like, oh my gosh! All right, okay. Mumble room. Uh, Lionhead is are Chrome web apps the future of productivity apps on desktops for Linux made by large companies? No, I don't really think so. Um, well, Chrome and uh, the Chrome OS and such, well, they have that infrastructure, but I don't think that many of the people that use Linux now would respond nicely to having the Chrome store or something like that. But let's take what Mike's saying and imagine a world where if you even just... I mean, the, the Linux user base is so small in comparison to other desktops that if you just brought over 10% of, the, of more Windows users or 20% more Windows users, it would dwarf the existing Linux users. So it would almost what their preferences and their methods to buying software would almost be completely irrelevant just by the mass amounts of new users that you could somehow move over if all of a sudden applications were available to these people. And the other thing about it, too, is, to Mike's point, is wouldn't it make it easier if they could start using those Chrome web apps on their Windows box, and then when it comes time to move, they just the underlying operating system swaps out, they open up the Chrome browser, and they go right back to using the same applications. What do you think about that, Lionhead? Yeah, you, you make a good point there that uh, for at least more casual users, they would love to have a more uh, platform-neutral uh, way of doing apps, and Chrome would definitely make that a uh, much easier transition. But yeah, uh, here's what I think. Yeah, so, Go ahead, Mike, cuz I'll I'll, yeah. I'll 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 wrap I've, this conversation up with my final thoughts. You I mean, I think it's I think it's important not to overstate what I said, right? I said productivity and I probably should have said light productivity and utility apps, right? I'm, I'm not suggesting that Although I was going to say that Excel could be run on the browser, but this morning I did a PNL in Excel in a browser. Yeah, there's that. I mean, so, yeah, I do all my word processing pretty much now in a browser. Right. And I had the full, I don't know what they call that, not pivot tables, but it's not important. <laughs> but the full functionality that I would normally, yeah, I do a lot of businessy crap now. All the normal functionality that I have if I were to download you know, Excel on a PC or a Macintosh right there in Chrome. Here's what I, okay, here's my closing thoughts on this email. Uh, here's what I would like to see is I think it's not a one solution fits all. I think you got Chrome web apps for things like your Google Docs, your Office 365, your Libre in the web, whatever whatever the, 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 the program is. There's that classification of software. Then I think you have your next classification of software that's like your workstation grade applications. You know them. There's like Mathematica. There's a bunch out there. Uh, SolidWorks, uh, AutoCAD, um, you know, uh, Adobe Premiere, if any one of those began to move over to, to Linux, then an entire swath of an industry could move over. And I think Steam would have some incentives to sell that. So Steam wouldn't be selling things like LibreOffice. And uh, it, we, what the Software Center did, it was too much. If they would have done 50 good applications that are enterprise grade, and they could have put a $50 price tag on it, they might have done better. And I think Steam could do that. Because they don't have to make a ton of money on it. So they'll just put the ones in there. Then you have a universal app store that works across many distributions. And then you have a different category of applications, like what Mike's just talking about, that will be web apps. And then you will have a whole other category of applications that will come from the distributions repository. And those are always going to be your free and open source. And they're the ones that users like me will primarily rely upon because that's my preferred way to get it. But I, oh, I could wait, say wait, a mix. Wait, wait, wait. But, but you said universal app store. 
I mean, doesn't that sound a little bit like, you know, right once, I can never say that correctly, right once, right. run everywhere? I mean, that that's an awesome thing to say, but it, it's brought to us by the letter bullshit. <laughs> Okay. All right. I would. Come I on. would. I would agree. Except for you are beginning to see it happen right now with Steam and video games. You know, people are writing the video games for Linux, and yes, they are. What they're doing is they are targeting Ubuntu. But I am running them under Arch because Steam has recreated a virtual Ubuntu uh, structure inside my my home folder that essentially replicates like the necessary libraries that Ubuntu has and stuff like that. And so what they have done is. They they will use my system's libraries, and in and when I don't have them, they have basically a, a, a mini Ubuntu install. It's not very big. It's a, you know it's only a few megs, but and it's working. And Docker also will ease this too. Pretty soon, you will have people pushing just Docker uh, containers out. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's that crazy. I do. I mean, I agree. It's not. It's not. It's like there are games that like don't necessarily work that take troubleshooting. It's not perfect, but if they are saying, okay, well, we'll target you know Ubuntu fourteen oh four, and we'll try to make it work on other distros, but we don't support that. I'm okay with that. All right. Well, boy, Dev thirty, we got a lot of mileage out of that one. All right. Uh, this next one, I feel like is going to be real quick. Baby writes in, and this is just for you, Mike. Uh, how did it end up going with your BitLab attempt? Did you try it out? Were there any downsides? Are you still using it? My BitLab attempt? Yeah, I, I don't remember that either. But uh... GitLab, GitLab. Oh, GitLab. GitLab. Yes, okay. I, yeah, I, I, I was thinking you meant Bitbucket. Is. All right, GitLab. Right. No, GitLab. Yeah, we've been using Bitbucket at Fingertip Tech full-time for, I don't know, a couple months now. Talking least. about GitLab? Yeah. GitLab, yeah, on a digital ocean plug, plug, plug server. Yeah, yeah, and so, so you're, you're. Ha- I guess the question is, you're happy with the migration? Do you miss anything from uh, regular old uh, GitHub? I would say the biggest feature GitLab needs is, you know, in GitHub, when you first open a ticket, uh, an issue, you can open it with an image. Now, GitLab makes you open the issue, add an image, and then that image requires a comment before you can post it. Okay. So it does create a little unnecessary email spam. That's not a big deal, though. Not a big deal, no. Huh. Well, why don't we uh, take a second right here and plug DigitalOcean. Speaking of DigitalOcean, Mike runs it at their infrastructure. We use it here at the JB Studios for our infrastructure. Some of the largest websites on the web use DigitalOcean for their back-end infrastructure. And let me tell you why. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. And that matters in a really big way because that means it's saving you time. It means it's one of these tasks that doesn't have this overhead of oh like it's like i equate it to when you have to call the cable company and then that just takes forever so you never do it and so you never get it done DigitalOcean has completely removed that problem their awesome dashboard means that i i actually kind of look forward to logging into it so there's zero barrier for me just getting started and getting the work rolling and the best part is is you can create a droplet in under 55 seconds the pricing plan start only five dollars a month for 512 megabytes of ram a 20 gigabyte ssd one cpu and a terabyte of blazing transfer that's connected to tier one bandwidth in data centers all over the world. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and a brand brand spanking new data center in London. Their interface is simple. Their control panel is intuitive. Power users can replicate that control panel with their straightforward API like a boss. I just spun up a DigitalOcean server last week for an own Cloud 7 instance. And I could have put it on an existing server because one of the great things about DigitalOcean is these SSDs just give you such fantastic density. But I thought about it for a minute and I thought, you know, I've got a server in New York now. I've got a server. I've actually got two servers in New York and I've got a server in San Francisco and I'm going to put a server up in London. And I, I kind of feel like I'm like some sort of media mogul now with a worldwide server network. And the great part is, is I can back any of these up. They solve the same interface. I can deploy them with ease. I can one button install a GitLab or something like that to any of them. It really is so awesome to have this infrastructure at my fingertips for such an unbelievable price. But the price gets even more unbelievable when you use our promo code CODERAUGUST. CODERAUGUST will get you a $10 credit. You get the $5 rig. You can use that $5 rig for two months for free. Yeah, a box up in the cloud that you have root access to connected to tier one bandwidth on SSDs. 
You can use it for free for two months. How crazy is that? DigitalOcean has really sensible pricing, too. You can check out on their website. Go over to DigitalOcean.com. They have hourly pricing available. You can read about their SSD drives and the technology they're using underneath the hood, like KVM, the amazing hardware, and the data centers they've partnered with. You can take a look at some of the one-click applications they have available over at DigitalOcean.com as well. DigitalOcean.com, Coder August, when you check out. And a huge thank you, DigitalOcean, for supporting the Coder Radio program and just being so great. It's amazing as somebody who's watched this industry grow over the years to see DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean.com, Coder August, when you check out. Go get yourself a droplet. Okay, Mike. So uh, I wanted to talk a little bit. I don't know if uh, – I okay. So everybody knows Chris has been uh, trying out an iOS 8 device uh, for a few weeks now. A Ting sent me one, an iPhone 5, and I put iOS 8 on it. Can I give you just a quick recap about that before we get into Overcast? I don't want to like spend a ton of time on it. But, yeah, go ahead, you okay. Apple hippie. Yeah. So I'll tell you, iOS 8, um, the demo, the trial has been going okay. It hasn't been awesome because not a lot of apps support the extensions feature, which was kind of the thing I wanted to see how iOS 8 was pulling it off. Uh, because that's, you know, the share feature in Android is super solid. You can send from one application to another. And iOS, yeah, that has not been a thing. You have not been able to do that. They are introducing support for that in iOS 8 through a system called Extensions. This is really what I was curious about. Like, how much can I integrate other third-party services that are, are, are not Apple and not Google? That was really what I was trying to get to. And so this past week, I got pretty damn close. So when I set up an own Cloud 7 instance on my DigitalOcean droplet, I configured my iOS 8 iPhone. I removed iCloud and I removed my Google account and I added the own cloud instance for my email, my calendar sync and my contacts and my tasks. And now I have essentially cloud-like functionality. I mean, it is cloud cloud syncing, right? To my desktop, I am syncing to my Linux desktop and to my iPhone through own cloud without any third-party services. And I, I, I feel like I have now reached a point where I am using a fully capable smartphone with Tier 1 apps, probably the best apps out there for mobile, without a reliance on a third-party service. Like, every Android phone comes tethered to Google, right? It's just part of the deal. And essentially, every iPhone comes tethered to Apple, but you can break that deal. You can, you can sign out of iCloud so you're not checking in all the time. This is just – I was just curious if this was possible, and it does seem to be possible. So that's, that's neat. The other neat thing about iOS 8, just because from an iOS 8 standpoint, is I took a train ride. I've already told the story a little bit, but I took a train ride, and it was an Amtrak train. And when you buy an Amtrak ticket online, it essentially says, hey, you, you're going to want to go get our app. You, you could print this if you want to print this, but you'd be a caveman. Go download our Amtrak app and go log into it. I'm like, okay, boy, I've never really seen a company be so aggressive about telling me to get their apps, so I'm going to go get the Amtrak app. Like if they, 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 they got to me. So I went and downloaded the Amtrak app from the App Store, logged in, and then I was like, okay, well, this app sucks. And I didn't think about it again, and I closed it, <laughs> right? Then I get to the Amtrak station, and I pull out my phone to check the time. And on the lock screen of my phone is an Amtrak button. And this is a new feature of iOS 8. Where they have, uh, where they, where you can have apps that get triggered based on your location, and so the app can tell the operating system, "Hey, if the user ever gets in this location, notify me." And so, when I touched that Amtrak app on the lock screen, it opened up the Amtrak app and displayed a QR code for the train conductor to to to, to scan with his scanner, and that was my ticket. I got there, the app icon was on my screen. I pushed it, the QR code came up on the screen. The guy, it was like it all happened at the perfect timing too. That was the other thing that was so amazing about it. It was like, oh, what's this? Oh, you need my ticket? And I push it, and it, oh, well, here you go. And then he scans it, and then I'm done. And I was like, wow, that felt like the future. And then, and then what was so cool is when I was leaving Portland, going back to the Amtrak station, the same thing happened all over again, and it was just as cool the second time. <laughs> so that's, that's been, that's been kind of neat. Um, I, don't, I don't think it sells a phone, but just since, you know, for somebody who was just trying it out and didn't expect to run into anything like that, that was kind of a, a nice uh, example of a subtle feature that at the end of the day added a ton of value to me as the user, um, but was not complicated at all to set up and was very unintrusive. Like I could have just ignored 
that little icon on my home screen or my lock screen too. So that was kind of neat. So that brings us to Overcast, which you can find out more about at Overcast.fm. Now this is a iOS uh, podcasting client. It only works. I think you'll probably eventually release for Android, maybe. And so yeah, there's, uh, there a very simple web client too, right? Yes, there is. Yes. And uh, Overcast, from a from a uh, podcasting app standpoint, uh, its its biggest features are its smart speed and its voice boost. Both of which, as a listener of some shows, I like a lot because it's the best speed increase system I've ever heard. And because Marco is also a podcaster and a bit of an audiophile, he wrote his own engine to take care of this. And he's also um, analyzing the waveform, and he'll find gaps in the audio. So if you have like podcast out there where sometimes there's just dead air where the hosts are kind of just doing this, then sure. Overcast will automatically find those gaps in the waveform, and it it gently removes them. It, so it's not like a hard clipping, but it tightens it up. And what it ends up is it sounds like everybody's been written by Aaron Sorkin a little bit, like everybody's just real quick and, and snappy with each other. It makes people sound a little bit smarter. But it also distorts music just a hair, but you can turn it off. And then he's got something called Voice Boost. This is on top of that, where it's a it's a compressor and an EQ and a few other things. And essentially what it does is it lifts the vocals up out of mud. So if you've got a podcast where the music is uh, is too muddy and you can't hear people's voices or it's, you're in the car and there's a lot of road noise, you hit this voice boost feature and in real time the app sort of extracts the vocals up out of the audio file as much as possible and amplifies them. And it does like an exciter too, so it adds some crispness to it which makes it easier for your for you to hear. It's got some nice playlist features and then it's got some nice discovery features as well where it'll go out and see what your Twitter feed is tweeting about podcast wise and it'll build a recommendation list based on your Twitter feed versus like, you know, the iTunes top list which we've talked about many times and how crappy they are. Yeah. And you can oh and then I guess probably the other thing to mention before we go into the app itself, it's free to download and then if you like it and you want to enable certain features like cellular downloads, it's a $5 in-app purchase. Uh, all right, so we've both been using it since the day it launched. Mike, what do you think so far? Pretty good app. Uh, your thoughts? Pretty good app. Yeah, I actually wrote a review of it on uh, on DominicM.com. Ooh. Um, yes, it is. So I'll link that in the chat. But so I like it. I'm you know, I, I like that it's not overly designed. Right? That it's. I mean, every every image in there except for the uh, actual logo seems to be a native iOS widget. So this is a big thing. He's using the standard controls, and essentially what he's saying is don't try to make a big designy app. Just use right. the native interface that the operating system's using. Exactly. Um, I, I will say that the smart speed has not worked phenomenally well for me. Yeah. And the voice boost just was jarring to me, so I ended up not using it. Yeah, yeah I don't I did. particularly use them either very much. I did pay for the upgrade just for the simple fact that I did need cellular. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and I, of course, want to, to support a fellow indie developer, though he is filthy rich, you know, Scrooge McDuck style. Yes. There's... So one thing I was wondering, and, I, and this was after I wrote the review. My review is very positive. The most negative thing I say in the review is uh, it's a little scary to me that even Marco Arment feels he has to do freemium rather than a paid app. Well, he says it's the way it is, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think he's he's benefiting from not a lot of people using the standard controls. And I think if more apps did use the standard controls, we'd be in a Windows Phone situa- situation here where all the apps just look the same, hmm. right? Because if you think about it, all, this, all the standard controls are basic buttons, basic text, Pick an accent color, yeah, very white boring. or black. Very right? plain. That, that, that's that's what it comes down to. I, you know, it, it's one of those things. Like, I haven't found too many bugs in it. I, the Twitter recommendation feature is a little hit or miss. Uh, one thing is it recommends individual episodes. Yeah, that's a little in addition weird. Addition to podcasts, which which I find very strange. Um, there's also the the retired classics section, and there's a bit of curation going on actually. If you look in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That home screen, which is interesting. Um, you know, he links to his competitors in the settings screen. Yeah, he says if my app isn't for you, perhaps you'd like like and he lists like four or five other apps. Which is kind of 
to be honest, like a, a phenomenally smart PR move. Yeah, I have actually used every one of these apps other than yeah. Astro. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, like they are, they vary in, you know, how much I've enjoyed them. You think that's that, a like, uh, you think that's a confidence thing? Because like the, I know my app is better than these apps. You think if he felt like he didn't have something better, he wouldn't have done it. You know, I, I think it's a, a realization that if you look at this list of people, these are all independent developers like him, right? Yeah, that's... I mean, anybody who, anybody who is in the space will know that these companies are not huge. These are like one, two, you know, no more than 10-man companies, and they're not venture-backed. I think it's just an acknowledgement that for us little guys, we're probably better off banding together than than not that's how i took it too i like that i mean here here he is releasing a commercial application and saying hey if you don't want to pay for my app go check out these other commercial apps or these other developers and they're all indie developers they're not large uh, shops um and so I, I i hope that's a trend that continues i also um i'm a little more optimistic about using native controls or standard controls uh i think you know uh, the material design for uh, android's looking quite good and I think that the iOS uh, 7 and 8 default controls look quite good. And the other thing is, is it means I can learn the UI in one application and apply that to another app. And when it comes to my smartphone, I really like having almost the muscle-like reflexes. I like, I like knowing that my thumb can always dart up to the top left corner on an iPhone to go back or on an Android device I can always tap that bottom corner to go back. You know, I like to know that kind of stuff. So... The fact that the controls, when I can just see them and immediately know what they do to me for a touch device, that trumps unique design between applications. It does, but you know, having used the Windows phone for a while, um, I had that same thing where, oh, this is great, the unified, you know, unified uh, universal design language. But then after using it for about a week, it got really boring because every app was essentially the same. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I can see the boringness to it, too. Yeah, it's okay. So I want to talk about what I find to be particularly interesting about the way he's doing this is uh, so this is a podcast client, right? And it supports it does not have support for RSS. It does not read feeds. It cannot understand Adam. It doesn't have the ability for it at all. It doesn't parse any feeds. It doesn't do anything like that. The server does all of it. And then it just provides a JSON feed back down to the app. With all of yep. the stuff, and the thing, that, the other thing he's done that's really interesting is a, a core functionality is background downloading. Is he's using push notifications so the server refreshes the feeds on the back end. And you think about from like, so all he needs is one person to subscribe to the Linux Action Show, and then the next person that subscribes, they're all just riding on that first feed and that first subscription and that right. He doesn't have to scan it for every single person. He only has to scan it once once it's on the server, and then everybody who has that feed in their app gets notified that there's an update. It sends a push notification down to the app and then the app in the background initiates a download and the idea is every time you open the app your podcasts are ready to go they're just ready to start and of course there's some rules there of course ios is aware of the status of your battery you can also say don't download unless i'm on wi-fi things like that in fact that's the default but the idea is no more opening up your app and refreshing feeds downloading shows you open up the app Podcasts are ready to go, and people have complained to him about little tweaks, and he's mentioned in different various podcasts that he's been on that he's just gone in there, like in the server, and he'll just tweak something, and that will change the way the setting screen is displayed, or it'll change the way the discovery directory is laid out. And he's able to make changes on so much of the application because so much of it is being fed from that server. Now, it means he has to have a kick-ass infrastructure in place. But Mike, I got to tell you, as a server guy, I look at this and I think, damn, this is the way I would want to make a Jupiter. Bro-. Like if I was making a Jupiter broadcasting app that only did JB shows, that's exactly how I'd want to do it. Yeah, it's a really good architecture um, because he's not beholden to updating the app for anything that isn't strictly app focused. Right? right. Yeah. So until he has actual code, he has to change in the app. He doesn't push any updates and he can still roll out new features and he doesn't have to wait for app store reviews. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be some limit on that, though, right? Anything that touches the UI is going to need to be be an update. But um, one thing that concerns me with with this whole architecture, um, what does it do for people's listenership numbers? Right, as a podcaster myself, that's probably 
you know, that's something yeah. a little Well, I think because about. the phone is still actually downloading it from the original source, you still get the download count. What you wouldn't okay. get is um, it, it's going to throw off RSS subscription numbers because it'll be one subscription and you could have 20,000 Overcast users at the other end of that one subscription. But they will still all download it from the originating source. So, uh, you know, depending on how you're tracking, it would still get counted. I don't know if yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't. I tell you what, I'm not so sure I'm thrilled about from a podcaster standpoint is like you were mentioning the smart speed stuff. All podcast apps have it. Every podcast app lets you speed it up, and they all kind of sound like butt. Overcast, if you don't do it much, it sounds actually almost kind of natural. If you turn it up a little bit, you definitely notice. But I don't like the way the thing is. What I don't like is it ships on by default. Just a little TD. It's like one point three yeah. or one point five. Or something. It's not a lot of speed improve, uh, increasement, but it's enough that it screws up the music. And as somebody who's spent a lot of time trying to pick good music, I don't like that. I don't like that as a as a producer. I don't like now that all of my listeners all of a sudden are going to hear a slightly distorted version of my show. But you know that's that's their choice. You can turn it on. You can turn it off. I have it on for some shows. I have it off. That's the other thing I like is it lets you set it per show. So the playlist feature, you can have the different voice boost effects turn on or off based on the last settings for that podcast. So, for example, uh, I might listen to uh, Tom Merritt's uh, Daily Tech News Show, and the audio, because he has Google Hangouts, is is the worst in the truck. So I, I do use voice boost there. But then uh, if a Jupiter Broadcasting Show comes on or um, you know Mission Log comes on, I don't need voice boost. And so it just automatically turns it off when, a, when one of those shows comes on. So it's a, it's a neat system. I don't know if it's going to move out to other platforms, but it sure is a it's it sure is interesting in the sense that it's a huge app that's really blowing up using standard interface controls, which means pretty much anybody can design it. Uh, it's using a ton of server side technology, which I find to be absolutely fascinating. And so, yeah, the use the reliance on the server should make this a relatively painless port to Android. Well, I, um, except for that voice engine. I don't know what he's doing there, magic sauce wise. That's probably a lot so, of fancy Objective C. Yeah, if he, he, I've listened to him on a few other shows. He, he's actually gone very low level with his audio stuff. And maybe I'm a little biased because I actually turned Smart Speed off. I, 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 you know, I'm just not using the premium features other than again background downloading over LTE, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because I know that's the top billing feature of the app, but I, I really don't think it works and i don't think it's really necessary right because i mean i listen to probably 50 or 60 podcasts a week and i can't think of one of them where there's dead air that's longer than let's say two to four seconds yeah yeah i i I agree there the thing here's why i like it is there's a couple of shows that i can now fit within my the my commute because i've i've shaved basically three to five minutes off of them and that's kind of nice right Maybe, I, I, you know, like that gap we just had there. So here we go. Smart Speed, I'm looking at my stats. Smart Speed right. has saved 77 minutes of uh, playback time for me since I've been right. using it. Minus 53 minutes. Because I was using it for, you know, a couple weeks. I don't know. I mean, it's certainly a good app. I'm. It's interesting to see where it's going, and I think he's starting a trend here. I think that's why it's worth talking about now, is even if it doesn't come to Android itself, there's going to be more apps like this. It's, he's getting enough success, he's getting enough sales, he's getting enough attention, and it makes the way it's designed makes enough sense. I, I mean designed from, a, from an app standpoint and from an infrastructure standpoint. And, and, then, and then you combine that with the cost of things like DigitalOcean or Linode, and you see how you could easily now have a back-end infrastructure that can accommodate this. Um, so, anyways, I, 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 we can leave it at that. I, I just find I, I, it has been on my mind, so I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it in our in our bonus episode. I know what the mumble room's been waiting for, Mike. I have a I have a hardware surprise for you. The hardware surprise? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm grabbing it right now. Do you want? Do you have any guesses what I might have uh, here in my uh, hot little hands? A Lenovo. No. I'll give you a hint. It's, it's not a PC. It's not a. It's not a computer. A iPad Air. Nope, nope. Uh, all right, one more guess. I'll give you a hint. It uses a Note 3 screen, but it is not a Note 3. Oh. It uses a Note 3 screen, but it is not, not a, Note. a Note 3. 
I have no idea. Well, my friend, it is the Oculus? it is the Oculus Rift. I got the DK2. Oh, I got the new development kit with uh, with the Oculus Rift here. And so here's the if you're watching the video version, this is you have the Oculus headset, and then the Oculus headset comes with no longer a controller box anymore. There's a little junction box where you have uh, you that that goes out to USB, which you plug into the computer, and HDMI. So you have to have HDMI and USB on your computer, or use a DVI to HDMI adapter. There's a sync cable that goes to the webcam, which I have over here. And, and this webcam is an IR tracking webcam, and it's really fascinating stuff. Um, and uh, it's it's lighter than the previous version. I, I I got a chance to look at the previous version at PAX, and so uh, I was like, okay, that's neat. But I'm ready when they ship a new version. So this new version shipped. A lot of people are getting their DK2s now. I pre-ordered this back before Facebook bought Oculus, back when I thought they needed the money. Um, and uh, here we go. Here, it's a lot of cords. Sorry. But uh, it's, it's kind of amazing, Mike. It's kind of mind-blowing amazing. I would say it's life-changing amazing once some of the technical stuff gets worked out and the uh, resolution improves a little bit. You know, I just I'm not into the Oculus thing. Well, have you tried one though? Because I wasn't. Because I, I got to tell you, I was I was very very meh on the whole thing. It was one of the reasons I got it. It's because I wanted to see in practice if it actually was awesome or not, and I was a bit of a doubter. In fact, when I tr- when I saw it at Pax two or at uh, Pax, I was like, eh, this is not for me. But right. now having used um, this unit a little bit. And you combine it with headphones, and here's what I did, because I've, I've only been able to get it to work under Windows, because it requires a new version of the SDK, which they have not released for Mac or Linux. They say they're working on it. But what you do is, on, on if you have a Windows box, you can plug it in, and I downloaded a Raft, where you have, uh, you go in there, and it's, it's, this, it's like this, uh, it's like a tiki bar on a raft, and you're out in the middle of the ocean, and you can walk around on this raft. There's an inside, there's an outside, there's a post you can climb up on, and there's like a little lookout post up there. And you are in the middle of the ocean, and there's the waves, and there's birds, and it's, it's very relaxing. It's very peaceful, and it's, it's all-inclusive because the way that the, the helmet works, and everywhere you look, it looks too. So you can look down, and you see the ground. You look up, you see the sky. Uh, it, it works. It, it really – it was very – after I after I spent about ten minutes doing it, I had a very, you know, very peaceful like sensation. It was like, it was like I felt like I was just on a relaxing boat. Like I had the effect of it. So that kind of changed my tone a little bit once I once I spent about ten minutes with it and walked away and went, oh, I feel like I just came out of a therapy session. I feel nice and relaxed, like I just took a vacation, and uh, that was really remarkable to me. But it does have bugs. I don't know. Does anybody in the mumble room have any questions or any thoughts about Oculus? It looks like the promised land. I wish I could try it. Well, you can on Tuesday. Just remind me. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, just remind me. We'll have to do it after Unplugged because I'll have to boot into Windows. I think this is going to spawn like a whole new wave of video games. Like, this just looks amazing. Yeah, the resolution right now is 1080p on the DK2. Uh, But uh, let's see, Oculus and then Connect. What gets really crazy is... All right, if you're watching the video version, take a look at this. This is essentially a Skype call where the remote caller is using a Kinect and her body is being 3D rendered inside the Oculus headset. She is essentially a hologram. That is, look at her body. Oh, wow. Can you are you looking at the video feed? Look at that. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That is that is using off the shelf that is using an Oculus Rift and a Xbox Connect camera to do this. Telling you what, I think it's going to be amazing. I I think the potential, Mike, uh, I don't know, we'll see, but maybe there could be a future where you and I are like we could be recording a version of you sitting down at a table doing this show even though you're on the other side of the country. Just take me to the hollow deck. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, uh, Mumble Room, before we run, did you guys have any questions for Mike and I or any topics you want to throw in our face before we wrap up our special bonus episode of Coda Radio? Has Oculus made any mention as to when they're going to uh, bring it to Linux and OS X? No, they say they're working on it. No timeline, though. Yeah, they probably got jammed up with the Facebook acquisition. I mean, I'm sure things got pushed back. Yeah, yeah, and I think they're also doing some kind of new direct – they call it direct-to-Oculus rendering – and I think they might only have it working under Windows right now. And I, there's something with that, too. Uh, because I know the previous development kit works under Linux. So if you have the old Oculus and the old dev kit, 
that works under Linux. So they've got to get there, right? Because who uses Windows anymore? Windows is a great operating system. <laughs> All right. Okay, very good. Okay, well, thank you to our Mumble Room for coming in today and chatting with us. You guys were great. Mike, you're a trooper for being here on Thursday. How's the dog doing? The dog is better. Um, additionally, you know, Chris, one of my fingertip tech uh, interns is actually braving the wide world of internet broadcasting. Oh, really? Realized. Yes. On Twitch. I'm sorry, what? Uh, <laughs> I know. No, <laughs> Twitch is, oh, Twitch. I thought you said Justin.tv. Oh, okay. No, all right. Twitch oh, is still alive, right? Okay. <laughs> oh, oh. So I, I'm going to go ahead and invite everybody to DDoS the following account. I know DDoSing is probably not the right term, but I would say okay, where know, do any we kind go? of malware we could use. Yeah, where do we go? Hang on. Damn it. It's uh, Robin up. the Puck on Twitch. Robin so, the, the Puck? Robin the Puck. All right, I'm looking him up right now. I shit you not. That's the name. There it is. Ah, there's the link. Okay. Are you dropping the chat room? Yeah. Like, if there's a way we could write a bot that just harasses this kid constantly, <laughs> I, I think that would be... Uh, a that's, great coding exercise. That seems appropriate, yeah, and it's a little homework for the audience, right? Right, like if, if we could like have meat spin, two girls, one cup, all, all the wow. classics. Wow, nuclear options, you're saying. Nuclear options are on the table is what I'm hearing here. Exactly, exactly. Okay, right. very good. Robin the Puck on uh, Twitch.tv. Watch out because Twitch.tv just rolled out new content ID systems too for pre-recorded videos. So watch out, Robin the Puck. You don't want to get your videos muted. All right, Mike, is there anything else we wanted to cover today? Nope, uh, just yeah. thank you guys for coming to the special, and next week we'll be talking all about TypeScript. Oh, <laughs> TypeScript. All right, well, why don't we, in the meantime, before we get to next week, why don't we leave the good people with a place they could go to get a little more mic in their lives? DominicM.com. All right, I'll go to DominicM.com. You want a little more Chris? Oh, a little more Chris? Twitter.com slash ChrisLES. Go over to JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar to find out about special bonus episodes or just our regular live times. Robots automatically converted to your local time zone. And JBLive.tv is where we do the live shows where you can join our chat room. I don't forget to go to JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact and send your feedback into the Code Radio program. We need your emails. We just read a whole batch of them. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. Thank you.